0: 1 Corinthians chapter 8 So the church at Corinth was a serious troubled church. It was infected with sexual immorality, it was split by factions that dragged each other into court and crippled by the abuse of the spiritual gifts. This church was in need of radical spiritual surgery. Now though true believers, the Corinthians had a lot of growing up to do. They had to stop following the immoral, selfish, and contentious ways of their pagan neighbours in, in Corinth, the notoriously immoral city of that day. And one can sense the disappointment of a hurt father in Paul's stern words for the Corinthians. Yet he, like a surgeon, he had diagnosed a problem and aimed his efforts straight at the source pride and the lack of true love in the church. Now 1 Corinthians is a reply to two letters Paul had received from the church in Corinth. The first he had received from the household of Chloe in chapter 1 verse 11 which told of disturbing immorality and divisions within the church which had risen to the immaturity of the believers who had failed to protect it from the culture of the city that of idolatry and worldliness. The believers had started to identify themselves with specific Christian leaders rather than followers of Christ and Christ alone that we could read about in chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. They were dragging each other into courts in chapter 6, verse 1, and their desire to sue one another and be judged by worldly men betrayed that lack of maturity and misplaced trust in human wisdom. Sexual immorality had become a problem in the church, despite Paul's warning that he had sent in a previous letter, (coughs) though the the actual letter was never preserved. In the second letter, Paul was replying to a series of questions that Stephanus, Fortunatus and Acacius had brought from Corinth. The detailed questions were about marriage and singleness, singleness which we read about in chapter 7, verses 1 to 40. And of Christian liberty, chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And then chapter chapter 11, verse 1. And this brings us to our passage in chapter 8. And we can imagine Paul, as he begins with, Now, which is putting aside previous problems and moving on to this one, which had concerned the question, of whether it was right or wrong, To eat meat that had been previously offered to idols. Paul continues by quoting the Corinthians. We know that we all have knowledge. Which appears to be a kind of catchphrase. Or slogan used by certain Corinthian believers. As an arrogant statement against weaker Christians. And the weaker Christians believe that eating food offered to idols was a sin. Other Corinthian believers thought that such concerns were ridiculous. They argued that if idols idols were worthless, then the meat offered to them was fine to eat. Paul agreed that food offered to idols was not contaminated, but he didn't leave it there. Paul was more concerned about the attitude of the more knowledgeable towards their weaker brothers. He sternly states, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. This poses a question, who is a weaker brother? Well, I was reminded of this <clears throat> previously this year, working in a school of course. and Thinking about the time when you're about near the school office at playtime and lunchtime. where you get a daily, you can witness a succession of children coming to the school office with various lumps, bumps and other injuries caused by trips or falls. Now the less serious ones are treated with an ice pack, usually shaped as a Mr. Bump or Little Miss Calamity, and in some cases a wet paper towel. And the child will be magically restored and be up and running in no time. The children trust what adults tell them, and they felt better for it. I I remember growing up in the 60s and 70s, playing football or rugby, and any injury was treated with the magic sponge. Basically a sponge in a bucket of freezing cold water, one douse of that and you soon forgot any pain and you are up running about again. Now the lesson for us here is of those who are young or less well informed, trusting those who are more confident and have the answer to a certain problem. Even now when we go to the doctors or to hospital, we rely on the expertise of the medical staff to help us and as with things that happen in the world the same or similar things take place in the church do you remember after your conversion with eyes wide open and full of enthusiasm full of zeal ready to do the Lord's work And in church you may have encountered good Christian believers who would encourage you in your walk perhaps pointing out potential hazards traps or snares and those those who have lived the life walked the walk and now passed on their experience to younger believers. Now, in the same way, you may have encountered Christian believers who may have questioned your conversion. They may have pointed out that all things you should, all the things that you should do, and all the things that you shouldn't do. And how quickly any enthusiasm can be extinguished like a flame, and before you know it, leave the church and maybe even the faith. And this can be a problem for us. As we attend church Sunday by Sunday, in a year we can hear over 100 sermons, and every day as we pick up and read our Bibles, we know that just a little bit more, and the danger is that we grow in knowledge, we may be tempted to become know-it-alls, and we may want to lord it over those who have not attended church as often, or have less knowledge. Therefore, this letter is as relevant today as it has ever been and as we continue we need to bear in mind our weaker brothers and sisters in Christ and be sensitive towards them. Just as a weak conscience may prevail in young Christians so the older Christian has a real danger of developing an insensitive conscience and soon forget that their own journey from young to mature Christian will have been filled with all sorts of trials, tribulations and temptations and it's only been by the grace of God that they have been able to prevail in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 we read of those who fail to realise the purpose of the truth of God it is intended to lead to love from a pure heart from a good conscience and from sincere faith These people were zealous over trivial matters, however they missed the things that really mattered. We also have the example of the scribes and the Pharisees who focused on the lesser things, tithing mint and cumin but neglected mercy and judgment, the weightier matters of the law. Likewise, those with an insensitive conscience would have not given much thought of dining on meat offered to idols and the effect it would have on the weaker brethren. They may be selfish, proud, indifferent to the needs of others, justifying himself whenever condemned and yet be untroubled by his conscience. It is totally insensitive. He has persuaded his conscience that it has has no need to operate in the sphere of ethics. He has limited its activities to a small area of external observances and petty taboos. He imagines that he has a very sensitive conscience because many of his taboos are ignored by other Christians. The truth is that he has given his conscience very little work to do and forgets that God sees and knows everything and his thoughts and intentions are scrutinised by a perfect God. And in this way, he is not used to applying the word of God. On the outside, they may make an impression of a life of sacrifice and devotion to God. However, God looks at the heart and is not pleased by what he sees. In verse 9, Paul warns those who may exercise their liberty to beware lest they become a stumbling block to those who are weak. As an illustration, what he to picture the man walking down the streets, swinging his arms, like an exaggerated match, if you like. And as he swings his arm, it connects with another man's nose. And the man in return punches him, who's taken aback and blur- blurts out. Can't a man be free to walk down the street, swinging his arms? To which the other man replies, "Your liberty ends where my nose begins. And this is a way which we are to exercise our consciences. Being aware of those around us. The person who, the person who insists on doing anything has not learnt the Christian way of love. Every believer must have a concern for the weak. Those who were strong in Corinth claimed their right to do so as they pleased in the matter of idols. But Paul reminded them that no Christian is at liberty to assert their rights if that meant doing harm to others. The actions of the strong must never be such as to offer a hindrance to the progress of the weak. What one person sees as right may well be wrong for another. No one should try to force their standards of right and wrong on others, whose consciences react differently. God gave us the last six of the Ten Commandments to direct to direct us in our relationships with one another. And Christ charged us with loving our neighbour as ourselves. So how do we get the balance right and help people, young in the faith, to keep from stumbling? Firstly, we can consider their background, where they grew up, what were their experiences. And they may have been indoctrinated from an early age with these things. These believers in Corinth grew out of a city noted for its idolatry. And for some of the younger Christians idols, some of the younger Christians idols would have seemed real. And they may have worshiped them before they were converted. Remember the prophets on Mount Carmel who tried all manner of things in order to get a reaction from Baal, even to the point of cutting themselves in desperation. However, it achieved absolutely nothing. Their gods weren't able to do anything. And the prophets paid for it with their lives. What conclusions can we make with our knowledge of idols? Well, no idol was ever involved in the creation of heaven and earth. No idol was involved in the redeeming work of salvation. No idol offers any hope for what follows death. Idols cannot do anything Excuse upon, but every idol can be identified by its idleness. And idols are the same in the Old Testament, in the New Testament and today. They do nothing, but they do have a huge impact. Therefore, we as Christians today know that idols are nothing in this world or in heaven. However, they can seem real to the new believer. They are growing up. And just as an adolescent goes through the awkward stage, so the young Christian frequently passes through similar experiences. Most Christians at some time have a weak, immature conscience over some things. and This weakness is not necessarily an unhealthy sign. It is an oversensitivity which may be evidence of a real desire to honour God. However, it's a stage to be passed through and then left behind. These Christians in Corinth believed in their heart of hearts that it was sinful to eat the meat which had been offered to idols. The advice given by Paul in this passage was to respect the oversensitive conscience and to put oneself under its yoke, lest we should encourage the weaker brother or sister to violate their consciences and thus to sin against God. For whatever is not of faith is sin. It may be right to instruct and educate the consciences of others as Paul did, but not ridicule them and trample on their consciences when they are sincerely endeavouring to serve God and are fully persuaded in their own minds. Paul further makes the point that not all knowledge is universal to every believer. In principle, it is open to every believer, but not every believer has risen to it. The stronger, more knowledgeable Christian has an obligation to consider the weaker, the weaker ones, and if that means, in this particular case, abstaining from eating the meat, then they must do it. For to eat the meat within sight of the weaker would not only cause offence, it could completely destroy their beliefs. It would be the equivalent of feeding meat to a vegetarian without telling them until they had consumed it. And you can imagine the devastation that person would feel within their hearts and their mind. It would be as though they had been poisoned, and psychologically, they may never recover. Romans chapter 14, verses 1-3, to we read... Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. The commentator Matthew Henry has this to say about the weaker brother. He who has the spirit of Christ in him will love those whom Christ loved, so as to die for them. Injuries done to Christians are done to Christ, but most of all, the the, the entangling them in guilt, wounding their consciences, is wounding him. And we should be very tender of doing anything that may occasion stumbling to others, though it may be innocent in itself. And if we must not if we must not endanger other men's souls, how much should we take care not to destroy our own? Our aim is for a pure conscience. The type that Paul speaks about in two Timothy verses one to three. He had not only obeyed his conscience, so that it did not condemn him, but had refined and purified it. It was well instructed and exercised, and therefore in a healthy condition. It's essential that we realise the absolute dependence of our consciences on the Holy Scripture as our infallible guide. And this brings home to us the need for careful interpretation of the word and the application to the hearers. Just as Rob Rob speaks from the, the pulpit now and again, well, quite often really, he says, If you think he's wrong or he said something wrong, please speak to him, and I'll say the same to you tonight if there's something which you may not agree with or I've got wrong please come and talk to me nobody's, nobody's perfect and we all, we're all open to learning so the word of God is the instrument God has given us to lead us not only to a grasp of the truth but to an obedience and fruitfulness that is evident our consciences should testify that we are obeying the truth because the fruit of the Spirit is present. And a healthy Christian is one who not only has a clear grasp of the truth, but whose conscience applies it constantly to himself. None of us like to think that we frequently sin against God, though Scripture tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. When did your conscience last point out your sin? When did you last give it chance? When did you last apply the scriptures that you read or heard to yourself and challenge yourself in its application? Do you listen to your conscience when it pings and change your behaviour or do you wait for others to point out your sin? If we are using our consciences in the right way as a precious faculty that rightly used can deliver you from being ashamed at the coming of Christ. As we come close may I implore each and every one of you as you grow in knowledge to consider all those around you, giving them preference when occasions like those described arise. Also exercise your conscience in order for it to be sensitive, question every activity that you do in order to see whether it is edifying for the body. If not, don't be afraid to change. If we love our neighbours as ourselves, we ultimately honour God, honour Christ and all that he has done. Perhaps our witness in loving the weaker brother will save them from stumbling and keep them on the right path. Amen.